You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday evening sermon series. Copy of God's Word and turn to John chapter 8. As you are turning there, I want to just share with you all another historical figure uh, we've been looking at over the last several weeks the end of this month is the recognition of the 500th year of the the protestant reformation and you'll see that all over everywhere uh, all over uh, it's a historical event so you, you you see that everywhere not just in the in the life of the church and i think sometimes we as a church we forget what others have done that allow us to do what we do. Um, you think about it from a local church. You know, I, I like history, and I've read uh, the history of Avon Park, for instance, and you read about the beginning of our community and the, uh, God providentially, you know, working in the hearts of those that started this community and allowing plots of land to go for churches, and you read about a group of people starting churches, and I think back of that those things is very encouraging to allow us to do what we do but even as we go further back some 500 plus years ago the Lord was still on his throne but the church man's church was very corrupt and had taken advantage of their authority and their their power and they had manipulated the word of God and that was where we were as a as a as a world back in many many years ago and so we've been looking at historical figures that have paved the way to allow us to what we do today and, and primarily what paved the way for the, the Protestant Reformation of 1517 and, and how we got to that point. I want to share with you uh, an Italian monk, Girolamo Savonarola. That's my Italian. Savonarola. He grew up with the desire and his parents wanted him to be a doctor, come from an affluent family. And in 1452, he was born, but God got a hold to him and called him into the ministry. And at that point, being called into the ministry, you were called into uh, the Catholic Church as a monk and as a priest. And as he grew and matured and, his, and, and, the, and the Lord got a hold of his heart and, and, and within the church at this time, the only ones that had copy of scripture would have been those within the church and it would have been written in, in Latin and they would have, have studied the word, but the, no one outside the church had the word. And Savonarola, he, he began to study the word and he began to look at the church and he began to see that there were many abuses going on and many moral problems that were going on. And he made a stand within the church. And when we, when we think of the name reformers, their goal was to reform the church. They, they were part of the church and they were trying to say, hey, we've gotten away from what God intends us to be. 
And so we began to, to share that in the 1400s. Hey, we're getting away from the Word of God. We're getting away from the Word of God. Well, they didn't want to hear that. Because he started naming names and pointing fingers. And Savonarola particularly started really naming names. The Pope, the Archbishops. And so they had a trial. They, had a, uh, they condemned them. They hung him, and then they burned him. I guess back in the day, if you really wanted to get that point across, you not only killed them, but like those that we, Wycliffe, you, Wycliffe, they, he died naturally, but they dug up his body and burned his body. So they, they hung him, and they burned him and two others that were with him. Martin Luther looks back on that and says it was like lighting a match in a cave. It shed light in a dark world, yes, just for a second. But it paved the way for what we can do here today. I think of the world that we live in today, and we're so afraid to even talk about Jesus openly. And these men were willing to give their life for the sake of what God would have them to do, knowing that it faced death. So yes, historically, there are many things that we need to learn about what took place many years ago. But we also have many men and women that we need to be very grateful for their stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Girolama Savonarola, 1452 to 1498, and gave his life praising God and the word and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord God, we thank you for the men and women of the faith that have gone before us to allow us to, to stand on their shoulders and their testimony and their witness so that we can open up the word of God and have the word of God in common language for all people so that we may hear from you, so that our life and our heart and our mind might be changed for your honor and glory. So we thank you for them, we thank you for what you've done, and we thank you for this time here this morning. We ask and pray all of this in the precious and wonderful name of Jesus Christ, amen. John chapter 12 verses, John chapter 8, excuse me, John chapter 8 verses 12 through 20. John chapter 8, verse 12 and 20. Last week we looked at John chapter 8, verse 12 in the great I am statement. This week we're going to continue on from that statement. And you have to remember the setting. He is standing in the courtyard area, in the treasury area, and there's almost like a monologue and a debate going on. In some sense, it could have been like some of the historical figures we're reading about are defending what they believe, teaching what they believe, and, and having a group in the name of religion disagreeing and doubting and questioning. And so we have a great narrative here of Christ and his defense of who he is. And he's really defending how and why he can make such a statement as this. Verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. 
Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I come from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written, the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither my father. If you knew me, you would have known my father. And these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour has not yet come. And as we look back over uh, the last several weeks, it's only been a couple of chapters, but it's been several weeks that he's still at the Feast of the Booths, and he's still preaching and explaining and teaching. And he makes that bold statement, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Who is he to make such a statement? Even today, who who are we to make such a statement that he has made? Who are we to stand and say, John chapter 8 verse 12, that Jesus Christ is the light of the world? Who are we to say that? And that is what they were arguing or, or debating with Christ about. So what I want us to do is kind of do a a running commentary of this and then look at the what now. How do we apply this this narrative into our life and our setting and our culture today? Well, verse 12, there's a, a very bold statement. Just for the sake of time, we will not revisit the sermon last week, even though I know you have it memorized in your mind and in your heart, right? He said, I am... God I am the great I am and I'm light and the world without the light is evil and corrupt and in bondage and condemned already and they would have known that he was referring to them and what they thought their religion and their law and their way of life the the world without the hope of the gospel is dark Jesus says, I am the light. If you'll follow me, you will not walk in darkness, but you will have the light of life. Light gives life. You want to talk about a bold statement. It was a statement that went completely against all that the religious leaders said was true. And in the midst of a celebration that was intended to point people to the goodness and the providence of God as he led the nation of Israel out of bondage into Egypt. And the celebration, remember, the Feast of Booths was to celebrate God taking care of them as they wandered in the wilderness. And all that God intended to be good and right and point to him, man and women and boys and girls, we can mess anything up. And they had turned that which was good and added to the things of that which was good that should have pointed people to the need of a redeemer and turned it into law in the darkness. And he makes a very bold statement. What you believe, 
doesn't matter. I am the light of the world. Verse 13, their unbelief. Notice what verse 13 says. So the Pharisees said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Go back to the previous section. The woman caught in adultery. What made the woman guilty was that she had multiple witnesses. If one witness would have brought the woman to Christ, there would have been no reason for her to be condemned because you always have to have more than one witness in Jewish law. And so they would have looked at Christ at this setting and said, who are you to make such a statement? Who are you to say that you are God and that you are sent by the Father and that you come to give life and you come to give light and you come to give hope and you come to give all of these things that you say that you come to give? Who are you? It's unbelief. In their mind, it would have taken more more than one to confirm this witness. In other words, they were saying, this statement is preposterous. It says, who are you to say that? I think about our church today and the world that we live in. How often do we face the same ridicule? Who are you to say that what you believe is the only way? You mean to tell me that we've got all these religions in the world, we've got all these isms that we can believe in, and all these things going on, and you mean to tell me that the, what you believe, and the only way to believe it is the way that that book you say is the Word of God said, it. you mean to tell me that that is the only way? And just as Jesus said then, Jesus says now, absolutely. But in a typical fashion, man argues more of of them and of the flesh. And I'll touch on that in just a moment. You're bearing a witness about yourself. There's no way your testimony is true because you are the only one saying it is true. Some things just never change, do they? Unbelief. Sometimes we can have the, the word of God right in front of us. This is Jesus, you know, because I'm, I'm real, you know, we're all guilty of reading into Scripture and going, now how in the world would Peter have denied Jesus? It, the same way you've denied Christ in similar ways all this past week. We just haven't heard you say it out loud. The same way that we read Scripture and go, well, I know that's what it says, but the same way we don't read Scripture. You don't know how many people I meet every day that tell me that they go to church but know nothing about Scripture. And I'm always confused about that because church should be the place that we learn about Scripture. Church should be that place that we learn about Scripture so that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, we're growing in our understanding of Scripture. Just unbelief. Don't believe it, won't embrace it, won't obey it, won't follow after it. Verses 14 and 19, we have Jesus' response. Jesus answered, 
Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. Now, this is what they're arguing over. Where he came from and what he's going. Where he came from and where he's going. Jesus says, I know where I come from and I know where I'm going. I can almost see the Pharisees going, ah, he doesn't know, you know, where he's come from, where is he going. Jesus is basically saying, if you knew who I was, then you would understand where I came from and where I'm going. Where did he come from? The right hand of the Father from glory. Now think about that for a second. He was in heaven in the presence of God. And he came down here. You want to talk about a, a humble sacrifice. You know, we read about these men and women of the faith and we think, oh my goodness, what a sacrifice. Yes, what a sacrifice. What a sacrifice. The right hand of the Father and he came from heaven to walk amongst us on earth so that he could go to the cross. It says, I bear witness about myself. My testimony is true, for I know where I have come from, and I know where I'm going. I am come from heaven, and I'm going to the cross. And from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, that was all his plan was. As I come from heaven, I'm going to the cross. As you read the gospel, he has come from heaven, and he is going to the cross. He's got a, a plan, there's a detail to that plan. He knows where he's going. The entire trip, he can see Calvary in the horizon. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. Interesting statement. They were clueless to the truth. Now think about this for a second. Abraham knew, but never saw Jesus. The Old Testament saints believed, but they never met Christ. Christ was standing in front of them, and they wouldn't believe. We have to understand in a certain way that God had opened their hearts and mind through the Spirit to have faith in who God was and what he would do. I think that's the key here. If these Pharisees and leaders would have been putting their faith in the things of God and hoping in God and trusting in God, they would have seen that God had sent his son. But somewhere along the line in their heart, they had taken pleasing God. And he said, well, how do you know this? Well, I know this because if they would have been wanting to live and please God, they would have seen Christ. But they somewhere in their heart and mind began to think about the things of the self. And they could not hear from God and they could not see God. They were not gods. Because the Spirit will illumine Himself in such a way to show us the things of God. That's what the Spirit is there to do. 
and we think about the Spirit today and we have the Word of God, and we, that is exactly how and why we can sit in church service throughout the globe and sit up under the preaching and the teaching of Word of God and somebody could sit here day after day after day across our land and hear the Word of God and walk out and never change. Because they don't know the Father. And if you'd have known him, you'd have known him. That's why we sing the songs of the faith. That's why we do the things that we do. We we know the Father, so we know the Son, and we know the Spirit. A simple simple illustration I always use, I I know I love God, so I want to love everything that God loves. Why? Because I know God. And that's what God does in our heart. They were clueless. Their eyes and their minds were closed to the truth. They couldn't see Christ for who he was. You notice, you notice how we pray? We pray for lost people. You ever thought about this? Think about this right now. We pray this. We pray what they're struggling with. God, open their eyes and mind to the truth so that they may hear the gospel and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, open up their, their minds that people can see Christ for who he is. Not a, a Jesus in a way that they were looking for. They were looking for a Jesus that would deliver them from their oppression and their bondage. We're not looking for a a Jesus other than a Jesus that will forgive us of our sin and allow us to have life through his life. Just unbelief. And he says, listen, if you would have known, then you would understand. They did not understand his coming and his going. They did not understand his purpose and his mission They also did not understand his credibility. Notice what he said. Even if I do judge, verse 15, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. The flesh is the thing of man, the flesh. Sin is of the flesh. They were looking at the flesh and couldn't look at the spirit. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 says that we judge no one according to the flesh any longer. We don't look at things from an earthly standpoint. We look at things from a spiritually standpoint. An earthly standpoint would say, hey, we're okay. Just do it. Believe in yourself. Get up in the morning and zippity-doo-dah, zippity-day, my, oh, my, what a wonderful day. I believe in you. That's what the flesh says. If everything happens just right, everything will be all right. That's what the flesh looks at the world, and we try to figure out what's going on. If we fix all this stuff, then this works out. That's the flesh. The Spirit says He is able to save a sinner like me that needs salvation. I mean, the second that I get up and think I can do anything, I'm in trouble. But every day I get up and I think I can accomplish all things because he has accomplished all things. And with him, all things are possible. That's just the two different ways of looking at things. I think about raising children. 
I don't have to worry about raising grandchildren. They're going to be perfect, and I'm going to spoil them. But children are great. I tell people, they say, well, my child is terrible. Make him stop doing these things. I took my son to the doctor. He was six. I remember that. I said, something's wrong with him. In my world, it was always an ear infection. His ears are infected. He's terrible. Mr. Beck, his ears are not infected. There's nothing wrong with your son. Something is wrong with him, and I want it fixed. And it's a true story. The doctor said, Mr. Beck, I think your son's just six. And I said, give him a shot and make him seven. I don't like six. <laughs> See, I didn't, I didn't like all the stuff that he was doing, but guess where the problem was? This little thing right here. It's a heart issue. We look at behavior... We look at the flesh, but it's a heart issue. We look at the world, we want the world to go away, we want all that, but it's a, it's, a, it's a spiritual issue. The world does what it is because of who it is. We do what we do as children of God because that's who we are. Jesus said, I don't look at the flesh, I look at the spirit. If I was looking at the flesh, Pharisees, I'd be praising you because of your religious job and titles but I don't look at the flesh I look at your heart you do not know me you don't have a clue a lot of times in our life the world is going up have you ever had those weeks and months where every one thing after another you ever have those one thing after another days sometimes God uses those things to get us to look right here at our heart Quit looking at it from the fleshly standpoint and look at it from a heart standpoint. They didn't understand who he was. He said, listen, I don't have to look at the flesh. Notice what it says. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Not yet, anyway. John three sixteen and following said, I, did not, I, I came to give life. You're condemned already. I came that you may have life. Jesus came because the world was already condemned and needed a Savior. Jesus came as the Savior. He said, I'm not coming to judge. I'm coming to save. But there will be a day that I will judge. But I'm making a way before that day. The already and the not yet. He is the judge, the ruler and sustainer. But he says, listen, I'm not coming to judge you. I'm coming to redeem you. But one day I will judge you. I will judge all humanity. We all will stand before the Lordship of Jesus Christ and acknowledge who he is. They did not understand his coming and going. They did not understand his credibility. They did not understand his lineage. And this has been an ongoing theme. They just didn't understand who he was. I am the one that bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, where is your Father? You know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would have known my Father also. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Father, the Spirit is not the Son, the Spirit is not the Father. They're not three equals, they are, but they are. They're, they're individually different, but yet one. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Different responsibilities and roles, but God. So you can't even, there's no earthly example to get that. I was sent by the Father 
And I'm not the Father, but we are one. Maybe there's some of us that don't understand the lineage of Jesus Christ. He is not a way, he's the way. He is the great I am. Think about the Holy Spirit for a moment. We have the Holy Spirit abiding within us the moment that we are born again. That's, you know, think about it, just logically. If I'm dead and then I'm born again, what makes me born again? The Spirit of God upon my life. We have God abiding with us the moment that we are saved. Put your, put your life in my life for a second. That's a scary thing to think about. Be John for a few moments. I'm the pastor. I'm the shepherd. I'm the shepherd of the sheep. I always think of Wiley Coyote when I think of this. And I'm sitting over the, over the, over the sheepfold. And I'm glowing. It's supposed to all be sheep. Because if they've been redeemed, the child of God is a child of God. God abides within them. Why do some act like goats? I guarantee you I could walk in Walmart. I'm going to do this one day. I'm going to wait till I get real old. That way I have an excuse. I can blame it on being old. Attention Walmart shoppers. Would everyone think they have a right relationship with God? Please raise your hand. Do you know how many people would raise their hands in Walmart? Now, I'm not just picking on Walmart because I go to Walmart. Everybody thinks they're going to heaven. Everybody, I mean, literally, go to work and say, you know, I got a test. Take a clipboard. It looks official when you have a clipboard. Take your little clipboard and write everybody's name at work. They're just doing a little, we're doing a little homework assignment from the pastor. If you do, who all's going to heaven when you die? Make a little note of that. And then ask yourself, you'll be going, you'll, be, you'll write in parentheses, you got to be kidding me. How few people live out a life where God is abiding within them? Think about that for a second. You have God abiding in you, the Holy Spirit. Yes, we make mistakes. Yes, we're not perfect. But we're not talking about a, a mistake or not perfect. We're not talking about whether or not we're blameless. Or not. We're just looking at the totality of a mental understanding of who God is and zero life change. We were talking about funerals today. We were, some of us were making preparations for when we pass. I've got instructions out and I've got some other people's instructions. We got a, we got a plan. You know, one of the hardest things I have to do as a pastor is a funeral. Why? Everybody wants me to preach people to heaven. I'm not making fun of people, but I'm, a, I'm, I'm about to be a people. Well, tell me a little bit about Paul. Now, he wasn't a religious person, but he loved the Bible. Not religious, but loves the Bible. Where did Paul go to church? Now, he didn't go to church. He didn't like crowds. What is he going to do in heaven then? Uh, 
Did he have a favorite verse? Oh, you know that thing God doesn't put more on your plate you can't handle. Not in Scripture, but. And, you know, and I'm sitting there going, these people want me to preach someone into heaven that I don't think's going. So guess what I do? I don't do it. Somebody might come up to me one day and go, oh, by the way, you didn't mention that person whether or not they're in heaven or not. I said, well, if I just first met you, I'm sure not going to preach into heaven because if I preach him into heaven, all these little drunken buddies that came to the funeral think they're going to heaven too. But you may tell you one of the sweetest services I do as a pastor, a service for someone I knew loved Jesus Christ. You ever notice that? It's like church. I don't think it's our job to run around and fix people. But you know what I do think it's our job to do? We got to get Jesus right. If we get Jesus right, everything else takes care of itself. We get Christ right. We get the word right. We get everything that God has given us right. We believe Christ. We share Christ. We expect people to live. If we just get Jesus right, everything else takes care of itself. If you think about it, from an evangelism standpoint, they weren't going to ever get it if they didn't even know he was God. The world will never get it if he's just an option. The world is never going to understand. We have no authority, no power, no conviction, no passion if Jesus is just a way and not the way. And if we don't act like that he is the way, we have no authority, no passion, no witness, no testimony. If we can't proudly believe that Jesus Christ is who he says that he is, who cares what we think? It just becomes a hodgepodge of what conference you believe is the strongest conference and what this, that, and the other. We debate and we throw numbers out and everything. Listen, we're not looking at how many different religions we think are close to being right. They're all wrong. And I only care about one that is right. And that's why we have the word. So Jesus said, listen, you don't need to know me or my father. If you would have known me, you would know my father. These words he spoke in the treasury as he saw and taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because what? Because the hour had not yet come. Because of these statements, he should have been arrested. But the hour has not yet come. Here's the what now, real quick. As we look at that narrative and walk through it, what do we understand? Then, just like today, people do not see Jesus for who he really was and what he has come to do. He is sent from the Father to die on a cross for our sin. He is Savior and He is Lord. He is Lord of heaven that died on the cross as a Savior so that we may rule and reign with Him. There is no salvation without the cross. There is no salvation without the blood. There is nothing without him coming and going to the cross. He left the cross. He was in a tomb for three days. He rose again on the third day. He walked around and, and shared with the disciples. He ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he's coming again. Already and not yet. I've come, and I'm coming again. That's it. 
We have to get that right. We have to see Jesus for who he really is. Now think about what he came to do. He came to give us life. He came to save us and give us life. Okay, so I'm saved and I have life. What now? I live like he's coming back. We were talking about, I'm talking to the cults. We were, Joyce and I talk often about death. If you ever come up to Joyce and I think, those have the weirdest conversations. It's just a weird conversation Joyce and I have. And if we're not careful, we think about, okay, this is all I have to get done before here. This is all I have to get done. All right, I'm going to retire at this date. So if I retire at this date, i got my retirement app on my phone. And if I can just keep my mind long enough and preach till I'm 70-something, and that's questionable, I've got my countdown app, and when that day comes, I'm retired. And I get so hung up on everything I need to get done before this time and this time. What do we do this? Why don't we quit worrying about all that stuff and worry about this? He has saved me. He has called me. And he has left me. And all this other stuff, yes, it is important. But the most important thing I can do is to live for him until he comes again. Or I go to him. That's it. I was sharing with someone today that the office is next, next Sunday we're going to have an open house and I still don't know where any of my stuff is. I got stuff in Matt's office, Judy's office, a closet under the stairwell, Joy's office. I got stuff everywhere. You know what this has taught me? All this stuff isn't that important anyway. I'm going to have a yard sale and just get rid of all my stuff. Ma'am, yeah, you can't talk back. This is my time. <laughs> don't be meddling with my stuff now. Somebody asked me the other day, did you move your little bulldog? Listen, I could care less about the stupid bulldog. I just want a room to put something in. Isn't that funny how your priorities change? Plus, I got a grandkid coming. Who cares about college football anymore? (laughs) This would be a good year for me to care, but I don't really care. The real thing is, am I living for Jesus Christ? Do I understand who he is, what he came to do, what he has done for me, and where he, when he's coming back? The, the big picture of redemption history, that's what it's about. Secondly, just like today, then just like today, people do not acknowledge the true lordship of Jesus Christ over their life as their testimony and witness and judge. Who are you to say that? Really? We're going to question what God has the right to do and not do? It's like that crazy t-shirt you see, and it's never in the right context. Only God can judge, and you always got the crazy person that has it on. Only God can judge me. One of these days I'm going to do that. If I ever come up here like a black eye to preach, you know I told somebody, yes, he will. He is. How dare I say only God can judge me, brother? Oh, he's going to judge you all right. He is Savior and Lord. I thought about my grandfather the other day. One of the struggles I have of, of, of of preaching on lordship is I feel like as a preacher I come across this way. You will follow Jesus. 
if you don't follow Jesus, you don't love Jesus, and, and I'm taking a role, and I'm checking a box, and you don't do this, and you don't do that, and you feel like as a pastor, because you want people to understand Jesus and live for Jesus, you don't understand why they won't, so then it feels like you come across like you're mad all the time. Like my first Easter, you know, I don't know what size of church we were then, but we were a packed house. I, got, I was mad. They said, well, I've never seen a preacher so mad preaching on Easter. Well, I'm mad because they just showed up today. Well, good gracious, sorry. Come here, our angry preacher at Easter and Christmas. Well, I was mad. What are we going to do next? They're not going to be here next Sunday. I've matured from that. This week I was thinking about the Lordship of Christ, and it kind of dawned on me. When I was a little boy, I remember laying in bed hearing my grandfather get up in the morning and I couldn't wait to follow him around the house, go fishing with him. I thought, he I still think he is, one of the most intelligent human beings on the face of the earth. I, if my grandfather could not fix it, it could not be, you know, he was a Marine in World War II. It devastated me the day I realized he did not defeat the Japanese single-handedly. I mean, that's a true story. I mean, you, what? You are not on the, holding the flag on Iwo Jima? Because I just worshipped him. He was the one that got me chewing, chewing tobacco. My grandmother liked to kill him. Hey, you can't play baseball if you don't chew tobacco. Everybody chews tobacco. So he took a nap. I got the beech nut out. Why would you do that? Because he said so. And I love everything about him. Why do you live so much for this Jesus? Because he said so. And I love everything about him. You don't have to convince me because I love him. And I know who he is. And I know that he loves me. I don't have to be convinced. I don't have to have some mad preacher on Easter trying to trick me into seeing it. It's a heart thing. It's a mind thing. You're not going to get it until you get it. And when you do get it, you don't understand why nobody else doesn't get it. Philippians 2 is a great passage of Scripture. I'm going to jump in there in verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue and word will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Amen. Every knee will bow. You think about Heaven is going to be a, a, the judgment day that day. He said, I didn't come to judge now, but I will judge one day. Every individual, every one of you in this room, me included, will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and we will bow to his lordship. Some will bow to his lordship and then spend eternity in hell. Others will bow to his lordship and spend eternity in his presence in heaven. And those that are not written in the land's book of life, they will stand before the Lord. They will not be thrown down and made to worship Him. They will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and they will acknowledge His Lordship and they will bow before Him by word and by action because they know that He is Christ. When you see Jesus Christ for who He is, don't miss this, you will bow the knee. 
And when they stand in judgment before Christ, those that do not know Christ this side of heaven, they will have their mind and ears and eyes open to who he is and they will bow in reverence to Jesus Christ. I know I'm a believer. Do I live like a believer that Jesus Christ is Lord? And it goes to our third statement. Then, just like today, the question is, do we really know him? You neither know me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father. Sunday night, we read this verse, Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. What we do indicates who we are. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day many will say to me, Lord, 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 did we not do these things in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Then, just like today, the question is, do we really know him? Let's stand as we pray. Lord, we thank you that we can know you, that we can trust in who you are, that we can obey and follow after you that we can know that we are saved. Lord, help us to see where we stand in relationship with you. Do we truly know you this morning? Is there a point in a time that we have acknowledged our sin before a holy God? And in repentance and faith, it's as we are born again and we repent of our sin and we place our faith in you, we acknowledge that forgiveness of sin and we acknowledge the lordship of Christ, you over our life. As we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we go from dead to alive. Never to be perfect. But Lord, I think we need to understand that we've been changed. And Lord, as we have heard the word today, as we sing in just a moment, I pray that we do not leave here today without trusting you as our Lord and Savior. Let us know you because you have known us. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.